And welcome in to our second podcast recorded today, Sunday afternoon. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw, fresh off a couple of years uh, covering the Phoenix Suns. I moved back to my native New York City to cover your Brooklyn Nets. And I'm joined by uh, probably a less hungover, but maybe slightly, uh, Josh Bass. Uh, we went to a, a shared uh, birthday party last night, and Josh, the uh, lifelong fan, uh, I think I think you had a very, you had a good time, right? Yeah, it was mad fun. Um, mad fun. <laughs> nice to get to see everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was honestly it would have been better if the Nets had won. I was in a little bit of a sour mood, but uh, I can definitely tell. was was uh, cheering up once I got some drinks in me. You came in, uh, flipped over a table, and screamed, Dinwiddie got hacked! And then and then the whole bar just started <laughs> the cheering. The are corrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, Matthew, Matthew Tonus' uh, force ghost uh, floated by cackling. And uh, that was... Yeah, that was uh, I, that, oh God, I'm going to replay the, the final like, few minutes in my head like for the next like week because it was just so insane that the Nets were not getting any calls. And... Some of the calls that people were complaining about on Twitter were, were good no calls, but also there were just some ridiculous ones. Yeah, the, it seemed like Dinwiddie, like, wow. and, and like, and here's the thing, like, I mean, like, the broadcaster, like, like, Ruko, like, really only started, like, mentioning it at the end is, like, and I, I think that was, like, a good move as, like, a broadcaster because it always sounds like sour grapes when, like, the uh, home announcer, especially during a home, uh, not even necessarily during a home game, but, like, when just when a home broadcaster is, is complaining about calls. But that was, like, I, I think it really was, like, a culmination of, like, all the missed ones throughout the fourth quarter. And it I wasn't as, like, egregious to me just because Dinwiddie kept, like, making all these ridiculously tough finishes. But he was getting bumped, like, every single time through the lane. And I, I, I just, like, I, I hate to say it, but, like, I think Kyrie Irving probably gets a foul called on almost every single bucket. Not just Kyrie Irving, any person you want to throw in an ugly green jersey, whether that's Kyrie <laughs> Rozier, Shane Larkin, Gershon Yabusele, they're all getting involved. <laughs> Daniel Tice, Semi Ojale. Uh, yeah, we said, did we say Abdul Nader? Oh, great. I love Abdul Nader. Oh, is it, what, what, you think it's Theus? It's Tice, right? I said, I, think, I, I thought I said Tice and you corrected me. I used to well, think I, it was no, I, I purposely mispronounced his name. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. I confused him with Reggie Theus. Okay, that's better. Okay. All right. You were just really getting on me last episode about white side and white head, white side and white head. And well, now, you also can't pronounce Nilikina. I mean, that's not, I'm how, a pronu- I'm that's a not pronunci- how it's spelled. Why, 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 what's the point of silent letters and words? I've never understood that. Like, why Why have them? It makes them, it makes them harder to write and it makes them harder to say. Right? Well, you have a silent C in your last name. Oh my god, I do. I never really shawl. Yeah, no, because one day it would be shall without the C, right? No, it's still shawl. Why would it be shawl? Ah, well, it's the shall. That's how you spell like shall. Like a scarf over you. That's S H A W L. So it's like the same pronunciation, kind of. Okay, maybe maybe we'll it's spelled that way. This is ridiculous. Why is it spelled that? Way? I'm gonna. I, I have gotta, a lot to talk to your parents. No, I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna confront them. This is. I'm. I'm really angry about this now. Anyways, uh, yeah. So we mentioned uh, the calls leading up to it, and then obviously like the. The culmination of that was like the, the final sequence of the game, which I count as like the last like six to eight plays or so, which like uh, a lot of the errors by the Nets like were like self-inflicted and like they could have won this game by playing better and like... Yeah, and, they could have just hit like A3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, and you got to give the Celtics like and really specifically Jason Tatum credit for making play after play down the stretch. And that, that's really how Boston has won games this year. Like they're not as dominant as their record indicates they've just like played games down to the final minutes like and even 
even on nights like they don't really have it offensively. Their defense just keeps them close. And and that was tonight was like, or not tonight, uh, yesterday was kind of the uh, perfect example of that. And then most of the time it's Kyrie making uh, some combination of ridiculously clutch uh, acrobatic layups or threes to uh, close it out. And then this time it was Jason Tatum uh, blowing past Rondé Hollis Jefferson for a vicious one-handed flush and then hitting a three like it was nothing to all but seal this one. But there were also uh, the comedy of errors uh, from our uh, Brooklyn Nets that I want to get into. All right, so uh, the the sequence started with, uh, I think the game was tied, or the Celtics might have been up one, but uh, it was Joe Harris uh, missing a layup, and he he played great this game, so I don't want to really dog on him, but he he missed a layup. He 100% should have made then uh, the foul on uh, Marcus Smart that they called like five minutes after he, he missed it. That also wasn't a foul. He, he tripped and got his feet tangled up. I, I watched that one and I was just kind of imagining uh, your reaction in the moment. And I couldn't help but feel like you had broken your TV or something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, also because it's Marcus Smart, who's just like the most obnoxious player in the league. He flops every time. And like this time wasn't even a flop, but they just conditioned to give him a whistle. Um, that was annoying, but listen, the Nets didn't play well at all. Like we can talk about the refs all we want, but both teams were pretty terrible. Jalen Brown couldn't hit a free throw, but on the Nets end, just so many unnecessary turnovers, just sloppy passes, um, shot clock violations, like everything that everything imaginable, um, they just didn't wrong. Couldn't hit a three at all. And it's frustrating to watch. I mean, obviously they're going up against the best defense in the league, but there needs to be a more execution there because their offense is falling apart right now. All right. Uh, yeah, I just, I just want to finish uh, going through that sequence, and it, like it embodied a lot of the things you talked about. So there, there was a foul on Smart that really wasn't a foul. Um, then there was a loose ball that they had every chance to get, and Joe Harris just like missed picking it up, and uh, Boston came up with it. Then uh, Dinwiddie got. Uh, I, I I know that was like I, I honestly didn't think that was like the worst call where like Dinwiddie drove left um, with a chance to uh, give the Nets a one point lead and he ended up falling to the ground. Like he clearly like flopped a little bit, like even yeah, though that I, one wasn't a foul. Yeah. I think Rozier had like his hand on his hip and like on the broadcast, like I think they didn't want to like say like it wasn't really a bad call because they'd already kind of committed to the narrative that it was a little bit of a bad call. Um, but uh, yeah, Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie flopped a little, like I, I think, Let's put it like this. There are guys that would have gotten that call just because like the hand was on the hip, but that, that wasn't a terrible one, I'd say. Um, then they uh, then they had the play where like Kyrie comes right back down um, and uh, they play like really like excellent defense on him, force him into a tough layup. He misses. But then I think it was – was it AC you got there? No, it was Hollis Jefferson. I think you got the rebound. And Damari. Ky- Damari. Damari, okay. And he got a rip from him. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And Kyrie just took it right away from like. By the way, just like even just watching Kyrie over like the three times, like he played the Nets. Like I, I don't think he totally gets credit for like how scrappy he is. Like he he's just like so he was playing good D. He was yeah, getting he was over yeah. really well. He like someone there was a play where he switched on to someone. It might have been Hollis Jefferson. He he just like totally like shut him down. Like when he's when he's locked in, he's like he's he's just good. He's good at doing the dirty stuff when, which is so funny because his whole career has kind of been uh, defined by Flash and like his lack of willingness to do that dirty stuff. So that's, that's, that's so fascinating. And like, I know like that narrative was overhyped a little bit because it seemed like in the finals in particular, he was committed to playing like that. But uh, it's amazing. Like that Brad Stevens has brought that out of him um, on a uh, game to game basis. And and then again, the end of that sequence was uh, the Nets on the last possession of the game, missing like 
three shots to potentially win it, um, including um, a uh, last-second one by Hollis Jefferson from like three feet out that he just yeah. really couldn't get a lot on. Well, what do you think about? I'm not sure if this was intentional, but the Nets running the final play for RHA instead of Dinwiddie. I'm not sure if it was just that Dinwiddie couldn't get open. Um, they had to get the ball in because there was no timeouts left. But I would have liked to see Dinwiddie get a chance to uh, to tie the game up at that point. Yeah, I agree. I think it might have been. I mean, like I, I'll say the two things like going against Dinwiddie there, and like I think I think nine out of ten times he's ultimately the best guy to have to have the ball in his hands in those situations, just because he's like not only like the Nets like. Uh, I'd, I'd say I'd say Karis LeVert is probably their best ISO guy, but Dinwiddie with his shooting is a very close second. And then uh, you throw in the fact that he's the smartest player on the Nets. Um, I, I think he he's the guy you generally want with the ball. But just the fact, like just the the fact that he kept not getting foul foul called fouls called right. Uh, I, I think that uh, Atkinson was kind of hesitant to like throw it to him again and just like I not not bank on the refs bailing him out but like if Din- Dinwiddie you know he's going to the rim and like again right. you're putting you're putting him in a prone position to kind of get screwed over Hollis Jefferson on the other hand is just at least even though he shot terribly this game he's three of 15 he which, which makes me think that this wasn't called and this just kind of just happened um he's just been so automatic from like 15 feet and in that like I I really like at this point and it sounds we, so weird to say, given like the type of player he was over the last couple of years. Like, I feel pretty comfortable if he can get a shot off within his comfort zone. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I think that I can see your point that Dinwiddie was going to be very frustrated by the refs, and maybe he could have just tried to. He wasn't thinking clearly and could have just tried to throw up some BS in hopes of getting a foul call instead of making the correct play. Um, but yeah, I think RHJ kind of struggles with with uh, close defense. I think he's better at the beginning of games when he. Defenders are sagging off him, and he can hit that 15-footer anytime he wants. But when the defense gets tough, he's struggling a little bit more. I think one call that we actually didn't mention with Dimity was when he drove to the rim, um, second-to-last play of the game, and Baines just like completely—he technically went straight up, but he jumped directly into him and definitely should have been a foul because that's not the definition of verticality because he's not standing his ground. He's jumping directly into the offensive player. I think wasn't that Jalen Brown? I was Jalen Brown or Bain? I think it was Jalen Brown. I can't believe I'm confusing those two, but no, <laughs> no, those that's guys. okay. Wait, can I can I just throw something out? There? You, you described, um, and I, I just forgot to say it in the moment, but you earlier you put you threw out there that uh, Marcus Smart was the uh, most annoying player in the NBA. I, I'd say Aaron Baines is right there with him. Like I've never really I had a strong opinion him. about him, but I hated him after this game. He's such a smug. Like annoying, like and I'm sure like I'd love him if he was on the Nets, Knicks, Suns, Spurs, like one of the teams that I root for. But uh, on on the Celtics, he is just oh my god, he's so annoying. Man bun. And like and then he got like I I love that like Zeller like I, I think the first time like Baines really pushed him, and the second time like Baines was almost trying to prove a point. Like when he had four fouls, he's like the refs aren't gonna call another one on me, and gave him, like kind of a light shove. Like I love that Zeller flopped there, and then they called it. Like that was just so satisfying for me to yeah. watch. No, I think Baines also, when he was on Detroit last year, he started something with the Nets and maybe made a dirty play against, like, Brooke Lopez. I can't remember exactly, but I definitely did not like him before he came to Celtic because the guy is just, he throws his body around and he's kind of a jerk about it, and especially being on Celtics just makes him even more hateable. All right, uh, Josh, uh, before we move on, I want to tell our listeners about uh, our favorite gambling site, uh, My Bookie, a college football national championship game. Coming up tomorrow, uh, NBA in full swing, NFL playoffs. Uh, I, I, from what I've heard, one of the more fun things to gamble on in full swing. Uh, so I think it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. 
Are you sick and tired of getting the runaround when you ask for a payout from a gambling site? You can sign up at mybookie.ag today and get paid fast when you win. MyBookie is your hookup for all your betting needs, and you can even deposit using Bitcoin. Uh, Josh, we got to ask about all the other cryptocurrencies. I'm not quite Ripple, sure. Ethereum, all the good stuff. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right. Uh, where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money betting any of those games, you got to go to mybookie.ag. They're the only site I'd recommend. I trust them, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can check them out yourself. All you have to do is join now and use my promo code LONETS and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. That is an excellent deal. So go ahead, visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. If you're going to bet, the only place to do it is mybookie. All right. Uh, yeah, again, this was a frustrating game, but there, there were some continued bright signs for the Nets uh, last time around. We talked about how good they were uh, defending the uh, three-point line these past two games, and that continued against the uh, Boston Celtics. I know uh, Nets assistant coach, I, I believe it was uh, Will Weaver, uh, was talking about this at halftime, like like when they played um, on New Year's Eve, they really got, or might have been New Year's Day, they really got uh, screwed over by Boston just raining threes on them, and this time like the big emphasis for Brooklyn was continuing uh, that trend of running teams off the line, and they did that with the Celtics, only allowing uh, one of the better three-point shooting teams in basketball to take 18 threes and only allowing them to hit five of them. Uh, so the defense was really good in that sense. And then I, I thought they did a superb job on Kyrie Irving uh, holding one of the most efficient scorers in basketball to eight of 22 from the field. He made some really, really tough shots in this game, but every, every single thing he threw up was contested. And you saw, I think guys across the board sticking to the game plan of never really leaving their feet against him and just staying in front and forcing him to hit shots over them. He made a few, but uh, not enough to really be effective against the Nets. So I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, the defense was excellent. Jared Allen had one play where he was switched on to Kyrie, and I was like, okay, it's going to be toast. And he just did an excellent job staying with him. Uh, Ronda Hollis Jefferson also, defensive effort has been a little bit lackluster this year, kind of inconsistent, but I thought he had some uh, impact defensive possessions today, and that really gave me some hope for him because his offense has obviously taken a leap and you want his defense to kind of be up to that same um, kind of uh, benchmark. But I think that the Nets defense has been excellent the last few weeks and uh, I believe they're fifth in defense the last two and a half weeks, according to Duncan Smith of NBA. They're up to 16th in defensive rating. It's just the offense where it's taking a hit. And I don't know if guys are tired because there's so much player movement and um, people are in and out of the lineup. And especially with Karis LeVert out now, there's not really another creator besides Dinwiddie, but they're just struggling with continuity. Yeah, I'd say Levert uh, being out is the uh, biggest factor. We we talked about how they kind of weathered the storm against the T-Wolves playing like a lot of unconventional lineups. And what Kenny Atkinson did in that game that he didn't do against the Celtics that I thought really helped was uh, the, the first time the uh, subs came in. He, he kept Spencer Dinwiddie in with them and gave him like a little bit of a longer run than usual to make up for the fact that Levert was out. And then this game, uh, Dinwiddie did end up playing 37 minutes, so he made up for it. Is that the most that any net has played in a, like a regulation game this year? Because it has to be up there. Yeah, I'd say so. Like, yeah. you think D'Lo maybe had a game early in the year that was comparable, but I, I don't. I don't think anyone's like definitely not in regulation at 40. So yeah, I think uh, Dinwiddie. Uh, that is definitely one of the uh, bigger efforts uh, this season. Uh, yeah, so the bench, uh, I, I don't think they were quite as effective. And I think, again, that's just symptomatic of Levert not being there. He's kind of 
the uh, lightning rod of this team. He gets them going, and he can generate offense when everything is kind of blah and not really working. Uh, my other takeaway, I, I went um, this past uh, Tuesday, and I saw the Spurs play the uh, New York Knicks in person. And, and and the reason, like, I've always, like, tried to get to the bottom of, like, why the Spurs can keep winning games and even blow teams out when their stars are resting. And, and even, even when they're playing, like, all backups, like, they seem to be, like, really, really, really competitive regardless of the competition. Like, they just, like, almost never have bad games. And, and I think uh, over the years, and, like, and this was, like, reaffirmed watching Saturday, like, Friday, like, excuse me, Tuesday, uh, the reason for it is that they're never stagnant. Like the Nets, this young team with so much energy, like guys should theoretically never be exhausted with how Kenny Atkinson distributes his minutes. But you see possessions where things just bog down, guys take bad shots, and, and there just isn't maximum effort exerted off ball, on ball, in all aspects of the game. And with the Spurs, you just never, ever, ever see that. These Greg Popovich sets a standard where it's totally unacceptable. And now that that's clearly helped by the fact that they have one of the older teams in the NBA and those guys are all vets and like if they've stuck around that long, it is because they're kind of predisposed to playing that way. But I, I think that's that's kind of the model that the Nets should look to. And obviously with Sean Marks there, it, it's one that they have closely examined. But but that, that should be the goal going forward and always it's it's gonna be more than a year process. But to establish a culture where not, not only are there no nights off, but there are really no possessions off. And I, I think those are kind of the margins that the Nets need to overcome to beat teams like the Celtics. And, and again, this game, particularly when that bench was in there, they didn't necessarily always have that verve. Yeah, and I think also the Spurs guys are afraid of being yelled at Pop because with one bad possession, he'll just go off on you and call a timeout immediately just to rip into you. And I don't think Kenny Atkinson inspires that same fear. No. no, I was. Also, we, it wasn't just the, the bench, honestly, because... There was a lot of ISO with the starting unit. I thought Damari Carroll in particular, he's, he, you know, it was, at the beginning of the season when he tried to do like the foul drawing BS that he does, like it was fine, but he goes so overboard on it and defenders have kind of learned to stay out of his way. Um, and it just like looks really bad when he just throws the ball up, hoping to get a call and it's just not there. And I think he's someone that the last two games has been pretty bad on offense and needs to kind of pass more and stay in his lane, which is being more of a spot up three point shooter, cutter, offensive rebounder guy, not just trying to, to go one-on-one because that's not where he's going to be effective. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Uh, him and uh, Alan Crabb both really okay. haven't been good recently. I know I, I shouldn't get you started, but I want to say for Carroll, it's actually been like even longer than uh, the last two games. Uh, the first two months of the season, he shot uh, pretty close to 44% from the field. Uh, over 14 games in December, he was at uh, – and and sorry, I kind of cut myself off there. Uh, for So October, November, shot – 40, about, about 44% from the field and uh, about 39% from three. So he was really, really efficient, at least relative to how he's been uh, for most of his career. Uh, since then, shooting uh, just under 35% and right around uh, 28 from three. So he, he's gone from like a pretty efficient like role player to someone who just should never shoot the basketball, which is, is pretty stunning and probably – more in line with what we expected. Well, I think him. it has to do with shots. But it's disappointing. Yeah, sure. I so mean, he's but taking he, more difficult shots now. Maybe, but he's taking. He's not taking more shots. He's taking like the exact same amount that he was early in the season. So that's why it's kind of it's kind of interesting to me. And and like maybe maybe when D'Angelo Russell comes back, uh, that switches a little bit just because there's going to be a little bit more room for everyone when you have kind of a star creator. But at least for now, that's kind of flipped. 
Well, I feel like the Nets don't generate a ton of open threes considering like their reputation of just like gunning them up and getting ball movement. I feel like there's a lot of times where it's just contested stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like I, I think they're good at getting like they get decent like ones. they they can cons- yeah exactly they can consistently get decent ones where someone's like kind of running out on you but you have like a clear lane to shoot like if they're not just like jacked up in ISO because the Nets like run really good stuff and again that's a credit to Kenny Atkinson and it's a credit to Spencer Dinwiddie who's who's doing his best despite not really having that kind of natural explosive speed like and him and Lavert can generate some of those looks that Russell was generating but uh, they clearly I, I think I think that's kind of the area where they're worse for the wear not having uh, either D'Lo or Jeremy Lin who, who's as good as anyone in the not as good as anyone but as, as good as anyone on the Nets uh, breaking down uh, a defense and generating open looks so it's kind of interesting that's something maybe we should look more into uh, because we haven't really talked that much about it but I, I think you make a, a really good point there yeah and I, I, don't, I don't know it's like it's tough to to watch sometimes when these guys aren't making shots but the beginning of the year, we were spoiled because the Nets don't really have a ton of great shooters on this team. I mean, Alan Crabb is supposed to be their top uh, three-point threat, and he's shooting a worse percentage than Lilvert is from three. I mean, he's down to 35%, and that's not going to cut it when his whole game is supposed to be based on making threes. Yeah, no, it's not good. All right, uh, speaking of which, uh, I wanted to preview uh, the rest of this podcast. Uh, we are going to talk about, as promised last time around, uh, Joe Harris against Alan Crabb, and I just really wanted to give Joe Harris a shout-out for how spectacularly well I thought he played in this game, just kind of some of the plays on the margins I thought he made. And uh, we are also going to get into, and I think this is going to be our next topic, uh, Jaleel Okafor having his, I think pretty easily, his best game as a net and uh, what that means for the center rotation going forward. So all that and more coming up next on Locked on Nets. All right, Josh, uh, Jaleel Okafor, uh, I just mentioned it. He, he was, this was the first time where he was really a positive asset for the Brooklyn Nets instead of just coming in and uh, messing things up. Obviously, he hasn't really had much of an opportunity um, last time out against the uh, T-Wolves was kind of his first run since that opening game against the Raptors. And even though he didn't shoot well, I thought it was pretty telling uh, early in the game uh, the broadcasters were talking about how uh, Atkinson was saying like he really actually kind of loved how Okafor played just because he knew all the sets. He was in rhythm. He was in good condition. Like it was basically everything he wanted to see from him other than make shot, other than making shots. And usually um, when the process is good like that, the results uh, eventually catch up. And in this case, they did. Okafor, uh, 13 minutes, jacked up a ton of shots, uh, 5 of 12 from the field, uh, 12 points, 5 rebounds. So not necessarily super efficient, but he really did feel like a positive out there. And he clearly uh, brought something from that center spot that no one else on this roster really brings in terms of creativity on the offensive end. Yeah, so you're saying Jaleel Okafor finally trusted the process once he left the process. Wow. Yeah, but, um, I guess no, so. I think he definitely brought a different element than Zeller and Allen. I mean, just talking about Allen for a quick second. Um, he turned the ball over five times. It didn't even take a shot. And he's extremely ineffective when he doesn't have a point guard in there. And that's the opposite with Okafor because Okafor can still create shots. I mean, I'm not going to anoint the guy after one game. He made some nice plays. There's definitely some things he has to work on still. There was a lot of times where uh, he can just kind of force the shot up when there's wide open three-point shooters around him. And that's something that he's going to learn over time. Um, it's not a big deal because he's showed that he can be an okay or at least a willing passer at Duke. Not really in the pros, but I think he can get there, especially making basic reads. Um, but yeah, he showed some decent touch around the rim. Definitely able to create shots in the second unit, which is huge when you don't have Levert out there because he was able to keep the Nets afloat, even though he wasn't super efficient, just getting some points on the board. So that was good to see. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I just I just love seeing like 
the the flashes from him. Like like that play he had where he was kind of like he, he caught it like just inside the three point line, immediately like went between his legs, lost the center on him, and then drove into a uh, short pull up jumper. And uh, I I don't know, just plays like that. Like I think I think that's like especially like it, it was certainly more needed with Karis Levert out, but I I think that's still kind of like the pop off the bench that the Nets have really lacked this year if, if their bench guys weren't just draining threes. And uh, we're, we're going to get into that center rotation. I'm at- still lukewarm on – can I just comment, like, I'm yeah, still sure. lukewarm on Okafor because, like, even even today when he, he showed had some nice plays, like, he wasn't particularly like, powerful around the rim and he wasn't particularly quick. So I'm still like, okay, what is he going to do? I don't really see a way for him to be efficient. And, like, I don't know, maybe there wasn't a ton of space for him to work with because I felt like every time he touched the ball – there was two or three people around him, and if the Nets' outside shooters can do their job, that shouldn't happen. But I'm still just like kind of lukewarm on his outlook moving forward. Yeah, I'd say I'd say give him some time because I think you can clearly oh, see like yeah. the, the the coordination and the touch are, are really the things that have always separated him, and those two are still there. And there there are going to be like guys here and there he can overpower. But I mean, you're right at this point, that's not really going to be like the base of his game, and like and and that might have been like a college only phenomena even though when he was bigger as a rookie he flashed that um a little bit but uh, i i don't know i think i think as he gets more and more in rhythm he's going to continue to be effective and i think he's going to have some really good outings for this nets team and i, I also liked what i saw from the defensive end uh within this game he like he's still like he's just like i i don't i don't know what his wingspan is and maybe i'm underestimating it but it seems like his arms yeah he's like 74 really i don't know why it seems like his arms are like so short maybe just because he doesn't get up at all um but like he's just, just really slow to react yeah he just is like, like he, he was, yeah as you mentioned he wasn't like i thought i was impressed with his defense in terms of he wasn't just absolutely abysmal like i expected he was just like okay like just there yeah and if he can do that and show on the offensive end what people think he can show and i trust kenny atkinson his staff then he's going to be a decent player so just knowing the rotations knowing where to be and just using your massive 611 body to be there that's going to be enough for him to be at least an effective rotation player i'd say i don't know if he's ever going to be a starter long term so i think the nets fans really need to temper some expectations no i agree i think i think that's enough and then so it's, it's interesting to like see how that um center rotation uh goes out because like this is obviously like i thought like going into the year like then uh, like particularly before they signed tyler zeller and we knew tyler zeller uh we, we found out tyler zeller uh, wasn't a corpse um, I, I thought that might've been like the weakest position, like right up there with Knicks point guards that have also surprisingly turned out to be semi-decent, um, uh, out of any position for any team in the league. Uh, and now suddenly it's looking like pretty deep because you have Zeller who only played 16 minutes this game, which I, I maybe would have liked to have seen him out there a little bit more. Um, and, and again, it, it just like, it, it's because he, he, he was good. He was three for five from the field, seven points, five rebounds, uh, three blocks, but it's just tough because you want to play Zeller, you want to get Okafor involved, and then uh, we we keep um, mentioning Jared Allen is, is kind of the future of this team, even though in 11 minutes he, he didn't take a shot this game. Uh, he's someone uh, you you want to keep developing. So uh, you got to you got to figure out those three plus getting uh, some small ball minutes for someone like Rondé Hall no Jefferson. Or no, no Mozgov minutes, or maybe Quincy. Also, Julie look for seven five wingspan. Okay. traffic express. that's interesting. Yeah, so it's probably it's probably more just him not jumping that high and jumping slowly. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So, uh, how, how do you think that center rotation kind of uh, figures itself out going forward? For now, I'm I'm a fan of the three headed monster. Yeah, I mean, I like the three headed monster. I think that I would say Levert and Allen need to keep playing together. Zeller and Dinwiddie need to keep playing together, and then Okafor kind of getting a mix of both. And obviously that's going to change a little bit when Russell comes in, 
who he develops chemistry with. And I think that him and Okafor could hopefully have good chemistry together. But everyone, kind of each center has their own point guard that makes them, that they have a, a connection with. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how Atkinson decides the minutes going forward. I think a lot of it's going to be matchup dependent because there are some games where Allen's going to be ineffective. There are some games where Okafor is going to be ineffective. Zeller, I think, should always kind of be a constant. But, um, you know, things are going to change. And I think that Allen definitely needs to be in the rotation regardless if Okafor can keep this up. And he'll be in there. And so I think there's nothing wrong with having three centers kind of all splitting minutes. And as the Nets know, you can never have too much depth because there's going to be injuries um, with their with their luck. I think like two of their centers will probably get injured at some point and then we'll just have Mozgov playing. Right. And then, and then that's the dream. So uh, we're, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that scenario. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, this is why people say you're not a Nets fan. No, I know. And as is sarcastic, Josh, I want to, I want to, I, I, I love these guys. I don't, I, I don't think you have the, uh, the leeway no, 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 uh, I guess, I guess so. But, uh, I, I really do. I, I like, I really do like all three of these centers. And you were mentioning the uh, chemistry between Dinwiddie and Zeller. Uh, th- this was the first game I started seeing it between him and Okafor. And like, despite like all the crap he's taken over the years, like I think Okafor, like certainly on the offensive end is like a pretty smart, intuitive player. Um, and I, I think that's really going to blend well with Dinwiddie's game and like just his ability to like catch like really tough passes is going to appeal to Dinwiddie because that's obviously what's made Sailor so good and is what probably left Dinwiddie frustrated with Jared Allen at times. So I, I think kind of exclusively getting to play Dinwiddie with either Sailor or Okafor opens up kind of a world of possibilities for him. And we saw it where Dinwiddie uh, split a double team with like a really quick one-handed lefty push pass. And Okafor, with his fabulous hands, was just able to catch it and flush it immediately. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see more minutes with those two. And I think uh, kind of like Zeller, he's he's going to be able to make plays off the bounce and maybe even with a little bit uh, stronger finishing ability than Zeller has. So I'm, I'm interested to see uh, those two going forward. Yeah, I think if you took Allen and gave him Okafor's hands and, and also his handle, he'd be such a fucking stud. Well, yeah, he, would, he, he wouldn't be on the Nets because he would have been a top five pick. He might have been... On the Celtics and uh, with, well, with it's, like a, it's like a transfusion after it's like a Frankenstein thing. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, okay. Like oh, so we're like we're, we're having the surgery now. Now that we mm-hmm. like have to, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. We should uh, we should you we'll should call Tom Marks and yeah yeah propose that. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's finish up uh, talking uh, Joe Harris versus Alan Crab. I just before before we start uh, crapping on Alan Crab, which I'm sure is is inevitable. Um, I, I just want to throw out there uh, Joe Harris. I was like so impressed with his. And like I know, I know we say a lot of nice stuff about Joe Harris always, but the fact that he got twelve rebounds in this game was just awesome. Like I, I said this to you before we even started recording, this felt like a playoff game, and even though the quality of play wasn't that high, it was like that level of intensity. And, and I mentioned it with like the Baines thing and like all the fouls at the end. Like these teams like clearly don't like each other, and you could see with the level of intensity on, particularly on the defensive end, that that's opened this game. They really, really wanted this one after coming so close to getting that win in Boston. And with, with no Al Horford, it was kind of a prime opportunity for the Nets to uh, pick up a win against them. And they, they just couldn't finish it off. But uh, the, the fact like that in that type of game, I, I really think you see who your guys are. And Harris, who didn't really have a shot going today, 4 of 9 uh, and 0 of 3 from 3, he found other ways to make an impact. He got 12 rebounds. He had that play at the end where he ran in and tipped in a loose ball uh, or like a, a missed shot by Dinwiddie underhanded and just like... That should have been in one. That, that was amazing. And he just like... I feel like he was getting hooked also. I think who, who was it? Was it like Larkin? I was someone like... Kyrie, under, maybe? Maybe. It was someone undersized against him and like he clearly like 
got fouled and was still able to like touch it in. That was amazing. And then you contrast that with Alan Crabb, who simultaneously like didn't really have a shot going and, and got five rebounds but didn't do anything else. Two of 11 from the field, two of eight from three, only got to the foul line twice. Uh, one assist, no four steals, time, no time. blocks, three turnovers. So you just you just contrast those two, both playing 32 minutes. And like Joe Harris, he found a way to make an impact. He found a way to make winning plays. Alan Crabb uh, just didn't really get anything done uh, because he couldn't shoot it. So I, I think yeah, to me, that's kind of a microcosm of the season. I think Crabb just, he just struggles with the little things. I mean, there was three times in the first half where his passes were just weren't on time or on target and they resulted in turnovers. And you need to be able to, in a motion offense, everyone needs to be able to pass. And he doesn't do that very well. Um, he doesn't make hard cuts. And I think if he did, if he cut the same way that Harris did, he'd be getting a lot more easy baskets because, listen, Harris isn't the greatest three-point shooter. I mean, he has a nice-looking stroke, but it's at 37%. Um, but he just gets to the basket really well. He knows how to use his body to put himself, to get good angles, to to get layups, and Crab just doesn't do that. It feels like whenever Crab gets an advantage, instead of going right away, he tries to square the guy up, take a couple of dribbles, realize his, he doesn't have a handle at all, and just passes it back out, you know? Yeah. There's no confidence there, and I think that it's frustrating to see that he can't really do anything on the offensive end when his shot isn't falling, and this year his shot hasn't been falling, so yeah. it's frustrating to watch, and I'm not going to kill the guy too much because his defense has been excellent the last few games, but it's I don't think that they're going to – I don't really see him ever developing into a player that's worth the $18 million contract. No, and I, I guess, like, at this point, like and, – and again, we still – it's still, like – a relatively young season where uh, we're just about halfway through um, and, and there's time for him to turn it around. But the the big thing for me is like, he just has to like figure out a way to get his confidence back because a few games this year he's had it. And like, I know like you could argue like, is, is the chicken or the egg? Is he, is he confident when he's hitting shots or is he hitting shots because he's confident? Uh, but, but just, you, you can kind of tell when a shooter's not confident, when they're not really stepping into their threes and, and that's something I've seen a lot from Crab, where he's like, he, he shoots it and like doesn't really get his full motion through before going up. Or, or even in, in this game, he had a play where he caught it in like semi-transition and was pretty wide open um, from the left side of the arc. And he just totally faded to his left with no one on him taking a three-pointer. And like a confident three-point shooter doesn't do that. He, he's like, he's fighting his way for every inch. Like you see Steph Curry, every single time he shoots the guy, unless there's a defender right on him and he's trying to create space... He's working his body towards the basket because he's so confident he's going in. It's almost like he's following the ball through the net with his hand and Crab just doing the opposite of that. Like he, he just looks like someone who's shook and, uh, and not really shooting the way they can. So I'm interested to see um, what the net staff does. I, I think they're one of the best equipped in the league to handle that because we, we've seen reclamation projects before, like particularly this season where they totally helped turn Karis LeVert around. So I want to see if Crab has that in him, and I want to see if the staff has that in him to uh, kind of uh, get him going again. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, it might have just been that Crab's three-point percentage in Portland wasn't really indicative of what he can do. I mean, you can be a great wide-open catch-and-shoot guy, but also if you're coming off screens and just throwing it up, sometimes um, you've never really just figured out your form there. And I think that uh, one guy I think of, like Anthony Morrow, when he was wide open, he was not going to miss. He was automatic. But sometimes when he's just sprinting around a screen, he's not going to, uh, always have the footwork there to make a shot, and that's not really the most efficient way to play him. So I think that Kenny Atkinson kind of has to tailor Crab's strength to the offense. So maybe he's just a guy that can be in the corner and just knocking down threes there instead of someone that's just sprinting around the screen and taking off-balance looks. Yeah, it, it's definitely disheartening that he hasn't been more. 
But uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of have faith that like even even if he doesn't live up to that contract, and right now obviously it's not looking good that he does, uh, the Nets will find a way to make him an effective player. All right, so a depressing loss against the uh, Boston Celtics, but ultimately another good effort for the Nets. And I'd say all in all, uh, things are uh, are looking positive and uh, kind of kind of swinging upwards. All right, uh, the Nets uh, this week four games: uh, Monday against the Toronto Raptors. Wednesday against the Detroit Pistons, uh, Friday at Atlanta, and uh, Saturday at Washington. Um, I have another uh, really busy week ahead of me uh, getting back into uh, broadcasting uh, basketball on television for the first time in a year, so I'm I'm really excited about that. Uh, So Josh uh, might have a co-host this week, but we are going to do our absolute best to get you, at the very least, uh, three podcasts this week. So certainly... And I'm also going to give you one that. great crab stat before we leave. That okay, I just yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Throw, throw it only, out there. Only 7% of his shots this year have come at the rim. 7%. Okay, that, that's good. I, I think we should we, we should definitely repeat that um, and the next time he doesn't play well uh, because uh, more people will be listening. Okay, so next game probably. Yeah, uh, sure. All right, uh, for Josh, I'm Gavin. I really appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, let us know if you uh, notice uh, the shift in audio quality. I, I think it'll be pretty obvious, but I, I'd like to hear everyone's opinion on that. Hit us up on Twitter, and uh, hopefully uh, that keeps you guys listening for a long time because we really felt bad that, at least in terms of that, we weren't bringing you the best podcast we possibly could, and now we really feel like we are. All right, for Josh, I'm Gavin. Peace out.